This is the Southern Hills Church of God, and this is our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you and guides you and builds your faith. God bless and enjoy this message. So glad you're here this morning. So we did get some snow, right? (laughs) Not as much as I'd like to get, but... I like the snow, just not the cold. I think we got more of the cold than we got the snow. So I wish the cold would go away and the snow would come back. But um, I am excited about a couple things going on here at the church, excited about some things happening on Wednesday nights. I wanted to share with you my heart for just a minute and take a minute and explain a few things before we get into this message today. We, We brought back our Wednesday night meals. I hope you guys enjoyed that this past week. Yeah? Okay. Uh, the food was amazing as always, okay? It's, it's just a, a blessing to have so many people in your church that know how to cook and to do all that stuff. It just does wonders to my soul. So the food's amazing. And just so you know, if you did not know before, at 5.30 on Wednesday nights, we do serve a meal. And the last plate is 6.30, correct? So that we can get ready for classes that start at 7. Let me just take a minute and talk about those. We, Our kids' ministry is doing some really neat things, and I know they're loving it so far. They have started this 12-week semester program. We're kind of writing this uh, this uh, curriculum on, on, on our own. And for every 12 weeks, they're going to be doing something completely different, a lot of hands-on type stuff and then a lot of Bible lessons to go along with it. So for these 12 weeks that they're in right now, the the kids are going to be going back and forth between archery and the Pinewood Derby, Pinewood Derby cars. And like I said, learn, learning about God throughout that entire process. The kids are loving it so far. And I just want to uh, thank you for uh, being there for all of them. The youth have services every Wednesday night all the way from 6th grade up to 12th grade. And uh, they've got music and games and fun. Sometimes there's food and there's always a great word. So if you have a teen Make sure that they are involved in that ministry. It's such an amazing ministry. And then I am excited about the adults and the different adult classes that we have to offer. For So every Wednesday, you're going to have a choice of kind of what class, what type of class that you like. And that's the type of class that you can, that you can uh, go to. So Matt, who's up here in the front, say, 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 hey, Matt, just wave your arm. Matt is an amazing teacher. And I, I did not tell him that I was going to say that, nor did he give me money to say that this, this morning. He is an amazing teacher, and he, you are going to be blessed by what he does. He's going to be every Wednesday doing a Bible lesson, and he's going to be taking the sermon series that we're in, and he's going to expound on, on that and learn more about that. He's doing a great job with that. I'm going to be leading more of a topical-based class where that, that will consist of topics such as leadership and money management and parenting, marriage, all these different types of, of, of things. So we're going to let you know in advance what the classes are on so that you can choose kind of what class you'd like to be in. So, uh, so if there's any questions that you might have about Wednesday nights, please come see us or the staff, and we'll be more than willing to answer those for you. But let's go ahead and dive into this morning. So this morning I want to start a new series. 
And I'm going to, I'm excited about talking about this. I'm going to be talking about tithing and I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm going to be talking about giving. And when we say tithing, we always think money and you're right. We are going to be talking about that and how important that is to not only church, but also to your personal life. But we're also going to be talking about more than just tithing money. We're going to talk about tithing time. We're going to talk about tithing gifts. It's going, and I believe the 10% rule that God has asked of, of us is, is so much more than just money. I believe there's so much that is involved with that that we're going to get into starting today. So today we're going to be talking about the attitude that it that is needed to be a good giver, okay? Next week we're going to look at the blessings that come when you tithe. The week after that we're going to look at consecration and a, and a donation. It's an exciting four weeks. And I want to make you a bold promise this morning. I have fought with myself back and forth over and over, tossed and turned at night, even saying this, but I was reminded that God's word is true. Do you believe that this morning? That God's word is true and that his word will never return void. That means everything he says will happen and will come to pass. So I want to make you a bold promise for this year. Okay, you guys ready? Here's the promise that if you will take the rest of this year and if you will tithe your 10%, if you'll tithe on your increase and give God your very best, if you'll give of your time and serve this church and your home, giving God everything that you have, and you can prove to me at the end of the year that tithing in and of itself is the reason why you are worse off at the end of the year than you are at the beginning of the year, then I will return every penny that you've given to this church. Well, you say, Pastor, why would you do that? You need, because I believe God's word. Because I believe God's word. I want to say, I believe God's word, his holy word. I believe every single word inside this book. I believe everything that it says, and I believe that if God has promised me that if I give him what belongs to him, that he will bless me, and not just in money, but in health, in jobs, in every, in every aspect of your life. I believe his word to be true, so I have confidence this morning to make that promise because I know this book does not lie. And so I ask you to start to give. If you don't give, start today and just see, test his word and just see if he will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out upon you a blessing. My goodness, I believe that today. You've been expecting a promise. You've been expecting a need. Sacrifice just a little bit and look and see what God can do in your life. So with all that being said, I ask that you pray with me this morning and ask that God have his way and teach us today what he wants to teach us. And Pray for me as we go to the rest of this message. I'm a little bit weak this morning, so I'm praying for God to give me a strength to deliver this word the way that he wants me to. Would you help me pray? Lord God, I thank you for this word. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son. God, I pray that right now that my voice, that people do not hear me, but they hear the words of heaven spoken through me to touch somebody's life today. God, I pray right now that you do with me what you did with Moses when you said, I will be your mouth when you speak. God, I pray that you'd give me a strength this morning to deliver this word the way that you would want me to. God, I pray right now that you would open up our eyes to see, that you'd open up our minds to know and our ears to hear the truth of your word today. God, I believe. 
believe it in the name of Jesus and I'm going to stand firm on the word of God and I'm just going to wait and sit back and be patient because I know what you said is true and I know it's coming. So I'm just going to continue to wait here and pray and do what you've told me to do so I can cross over to the land in which you've called us to go. And it's in your name I pray. And everybody said, amen. If you'd open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, starting verse number 25. We're going to read a story today that is very familiar to you, but I want to look at this story in a context of the attitude in which we give. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse number 25. If, if you're there, you can read along with me. If not, I know the words will be up on the screen. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It says, on one occasion, an expert... And the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered the man and he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? What a great question to ask, and I love the response that Jesus, if you know anything about Jesus, he answers things in a parable. He answers them in a way that we can understand. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two, two a denarii. I want you to notice he took his own money. He gave up his own ride and took out his own money and gave to the innkeeper. But he didn't stop there. He said, look after him. He said, and when I return, if you have any extra expense, I'll take care of that too. So he gave his ride, he gave his money, and then he left the door open to give even more money. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I want you to think in your mind right now of somebody, of a person that you have great love for. I want you to think of somebody who you respect, someone you have admiration for, a person that you hold in the highest esteem. I want you to think about that person and hold them there for just a moment and ask this question, what is it about them that you appreciate so much? What is it about that person that you love? What is it that really draws you to them? What is it that you like and admire about them? What are some of the words that you use to describe them? Is it their character? Is it their humility? Is it the fact that they are always honest? Are they always positive? Are they pure? Are they kind? Are they a leader? Are they warm? Are they patient? Are they kind? Are they trustworthy? Do they encourage? Do they listen? Do they understand you? Do they have a sense of humor? What is it about them that you love? 
I contend to you this morning that one of the main things you like about that person is the fact that their attitude is one that you like to be around. That's what makes them attractive for you to be around. The list that I just gave are characteristics of their attitude. It's interesting that when we think of somebody that we admire, we likely don't mention things like talent. We likely don't mention things like the skills that they may have. We say very little about the way that they look. For most people, what they care about is on the inside because appearance and looks might be important to some. But I've seen many people who I'd say looked good on the outside, but they were rotten on the inside. I think the attitude of somebody means everything. Look at this real quick and tell me. Tell, tell me whether or not the words described in attitude, loving, patient, trustworthy, encourager, character, humble, godly, honest, pure, kind. Your attitude not only makes you attractive to other people, but uh, over the next four weeks I plan to talk to you about managing God's resources and how that makes you attractive to him. You see, God is not looking for somebody who wants to just invest in himself. God is looking for somebody to bless, somebody who's taken what God's given them and wants to invest them back into his church, into his mission, into his purpose when we get past the fact that it's not about us anymore. That it's not about me. It's not about my wants. It's not about my needs. It's about managing what God gave me to bless him. That's all that matters to me. He is attracted to that type of mindset, somebody who wants to do the will of God. The idea of this as we know it is this. It's, it's using God-given abilities to manage God-given resources to accomplish God-ordained results. I want to say that again because I want you to get this. The idea of giving is to use God-given abilities to manage God-given resources to accomplish God-ordained results. What was it? You remember the words of Christ in Luke chapter 2, or sorry, Luke chapter 21, when he said, truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. This poor widow has put in more than all the others. So let me ask you this. How is it possible to add together the offerings of countless rich men and declare the total less than the two mites of a poor widow? How is it possible that so little could be so much more? Jesus' math skills are not in question here. It's not so hard to comprehend or to un understand. He said that the secret of giving is not in the amount in which you give. Someone who pays $100 is just as good as somebody who gives 10 It's not about the abundance. It's about the attitude. Jesus teaches us that the secret of giving is not the amount that was given, but rather what was given up. You see, when you give, it's not an amount of cold numbers, but rather giving is the result of a warm heart. It's the attitude. That's why I can honestly say this morning that you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. I want to go right into the heart today. I want to go right where we live. There's no better story in the Bible, I think, to help us understand this than the one we just read in Luke chapter 10. In this story, 
There are three attitudes shown, and I want to talk about them. And the first attitude I want to talk to you about is this right here. If you are taking notes, you have the robber, and he said, what's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. He said, what's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. Let's read this again. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Took everything that didn't belong to them. They came across and saw somebody who they could take advantage of, and they beat him half dead and stole everything that he had. So this first attitude that we have in the story is that of the robber. He was a thief. He looked at this man walking down the road, and he said, what's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. So they beat him up and took all that he had. And immediately, right in, in, inside the Christian world, we look at that, and we, we gasp in horror, and we say we want nothing to do with that type of mindset. What a bad attitude for somebody to have to take what doesn't belong to them. This is the attitude of greed keeping everything for themselves. It's an attitude of the flesh, but I want you to hear my heart this morning. When we don't give what belongs to God, when we don't manage correctly what he has blessed us with, when he has given us an abundance of talents and abilities to use for his kingdom, and we decide to hoard them for ourselves, then we're doing the very same thing that the robber did. We're taking what doesn't belong to you. And we're keeping it for yourself. You see, God owns everything that we have. He just asks that we manage it. Do you believe that? God is the reason why we have everything that we have in this life. Everything that we have is because of him. If you believe that God owns what we have and you're to manage it, then the word blessed comes to mind because you begin to realize that you don't deserve it. But God in his blessings and in his mercy and in his grace decided to give it to you anyway. When you have the mindset that what I own is because of what I've done, then, 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 then the word pride comes to mind because you begin to say things and look what I've done. Look what I've been able to accomplish. But you say, Pastor, I'm the one that practiced the keyboard. I'm the one that practiced this and practiced that. You're absolutely right. There's work that has to be done when God gives you a gift. But who put the passion inside of you? Who put the ability to play that inside of you? I want to tell you this morning that it was God who gave it to you. Well, Pastor, I put in my resume. I did all of this and I did all that. But who gave you favor? And who opened up the door? And who gave you the heart to do what it was that God had called you to do? I contend with you this morning that everything that I have in this life, I have it because of the Lord Almighty. He is the opener of doors. And it's because of his grace that he saw it best fit for me to be here today. I believe that with all my heart. You see, we work for the master's kingdom. Everything we do should be for his kingdom. Everything I have is for the use of the master. It's, it's not mine. And we also have to understand that not everything God gives me is for me to use. God has given us these things called transient gifts. What's that mean? Do you think God gave you the voice of an angel so you can serenade yourself? Right? 
Do you think God gave you the, the gift to create beautiful works of art out of wood and hoard that for yourself? No, he gave you the gifts and the abilities because he knew that it wasn't just going to bless you, but there was somebody else in this world that you needed to bless because of the gift that God put in you. You see, we're not to hoard what God gave us, but rather we're supposed to give it so that he can bless us. Do you think God allowed you an extra surplus this month just to waste it away? No, rather God gave you a gift to manage so that somebody who needs it can be blessed by your blessing. Let us not be like the robber where we take what didn't belong to us and we hoard it to ourselves. Let us take what God has blessed us with and bless somebody. I want to say it like this. Maybe I can get my point across better by saying it like this. The, the robber said, whatever is yours is mine, and I'm taking it for myself. If you made $400 this week, how much of that belongs to God? We say 10%, and I say you're wrong. Here's why. You made $400 this week. How much of that belongs to God? Every single penny of it. Well, pastor, I've got to pay bills. I've got to do this, and I've got to know. Guess what? God knows that too. He knew you had to pay bills. He knew you had to provide for your home. That's why he only asked for 10%. But everything that I own belongs to him. If we have the attitude like that, then I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that his word says that we will be blessed. The second attitude is this right here. What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. How do I know this to be true? In Luke 10, we hear about a priest, and we hear about a Levite. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. That's the attitude of the religious person. They had no intention of robbing somebody because they were ministers of God. Besides, preachers are supposed to be perfect, right? Yeah, right. Neither one of these guys were going to rob him. They had no intention of taking what didn't belong to them, but they operated under the attitude of what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. These two men were very re religious. It's the only time in the Gospels where you find Jesus in any negative way talking about a priest. More than likely, these two men were headed to the temple where once a year they would go from, from Jericho and to care for the temple. There was a law, and the law was this. A priest was not supposed to touch anything that was unclean before he went in to do the ceremony in the temple. Therefore, this priest and this Levite saw the helpless man who was beaten half dead, and since the law said they couldn't help him, they did not. So they left him alone. You see, legalism can sometimes blind you from seeing the needs of somebody else. Nothing is worse than meeting a Christian who can't let go of the law and embrace what, what, what God calls grace. They think that the law is still above love, so they walk around with a measuring stick and a magnifying glass looking for a speck of wrong so that they can preach about it. They don't help anybody because that's not what they're supposed to do. God has called them to keep the rest of us here in line. They're so bound up in their rules and rituals that they walk right by hurting and, and let people lie right there where they are, 
legalism is about yourself and they do things that gain merit with God. They go through life and hurt no one. They break no rules. My world is here. Your world is there. And I have a circle around mine, so keep away from me because you're not as clean as I am. That's what that says. And I'm telling you right now, the Christian life shouldn't be like that. We should have open arms, welcome arms, inviting and accepting anybody that walks through the doors of this church. Wrapping them around with arms of love. Treating them like they were my own. And giving when I have something to give. And doing when I have something to to do. Why? Because they're a child of God just like I am. I see it like this. I see the Christian life as being like a, 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 a picnic. Have you ever had one like a true picnic? Where you go out into the park and you lay out your blanket. And you have your basket that inside the basket has all these different compartments and different containers. And you've got the bread and you've got the ham and, 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 and the turkey and you've got the macaroni and cheese. I don't know how you warm it up, but it's there, okay? So just work with me. And you've got all that stuff and it's great food. And you sit down and what happens? You have a great meal with, with, with your spouse and your kids. And after it's all over, you pick it back up and you put all your trash in the trash can and you put it back in inside the basket, you wrap up the blanket and you go on your merry way and nobody ever messes with anybody, right? But let me tell you about something that we don't often think about when it comes to that, okay? Who do you think put the trash can there for you to throw the trash in? Who do you think planted the tree there so you could enjoy the shade? Who do you think installed the restroom so when you had to use it, there was one there? Who do you think mowed the grass so you could enjoy the wonderful day? Who, because somebody that went before you gave a gift so that you could enjoy it. I'm here to tell you today, every gift that you give is not for you. Every gift that you give is not so that we can enjoy it. Sometimes in life there's gifts when we give them. They're not for this generation, but they're for the next so that they can enjoy the things that we enjoy today. Some of the things that we enjoy this morning are because a group of people went before us and paved the way. Not every gift is for us to enjoy. Someone else paved the way so we could worship here. But if we have the attitude of the priest and of the Levite, nobody will be blessed by our efforts. See, we have to understand when we give, it isn't always for the now. Because sometimes when we give and when we obey, we give to God with a heart of gratitude. That is the generations that come after us that they can be blessed. I don't want to be the one church who robs, the, the, who robs my kids of their joy. I don't want to be the one that that robs my kids' kids of their joy. So you better believe I'm going to give today knowing that what I give, that that, that they will have a church 25 years from now that they love and appreciate and that they can come to and worship God. Well, Pastor, you talk about money. That's great. Well, how is this applied to my gifts, not just my money? I'm glad you asked. Because I'm about to tell you, you see, when I use my talents and my gifts inside the church, maybe there's a little boy or there's a little girl that sees you greeting at the the doors. Maybe they see you up on stage and they begin to think, well, I'd like to try that. You have no idea the career or the ministry that you could influence if you use your gifts today. Somebody is always watching you. The story's told of the great pianist. And composer Ignatz Jan Paderewski. 
He began his piano lessons at the age of six. When he was 12 years old, he entered the Warsaw Conservatory and six years later was appointed a teacher there at 18. He had a brilliant career as a concert pianist, playing to audiences all over Europe and America. He was preparing to give a concert one evening when a group of admirers came to the concert hall. One of those was a mother with her young son who was reluctantly taking a piano lessons. She thought by bringing him to hear this great this great, this great Paderewski that he would gain a renewed interest in playing the piano. So the young mother turned to friends and was engaging in, in conversation while her son was getting bored. His attention was drawn to the beautiful ebony grand piano and the glistening white ivory keys. He saw that on stage. He saw the spotlight that was on the stage, and it was focused on the piano, and he looked at the soft padded seat that was sitting right there. And so the lad rose from his seat when the mother was not watching, and he headed for that piano. Immediately when he got there, he went on to playing chopsticks. The audience began to turn its attention to the piano. And suddenly there was an uproar. Who brought this kid to the concert? Who does he think he is? Get him out of here. Well, in the meanwhile, the concert pianist was behind the curtain waiting for his time to begin his concert. His instinct puts two and two together. He rapidly puts on his coat, slips up behind the boy on the piano bench, puts his arm around him, and begins playing the countermeasure as he whispers in his ear, Go ahead, son. You're doing great. That's it. Keep it up. You're okay. Don't listen to the, to the noise. Come on, just keep playing. You're doing just fine. So they went on and completed the song to the amazement of the crowd, and they jumped for joy and started clapping, and they began to scream. In the meantime, here's what happened. You see, a lot of what we do for the Lord is in our own strength. A lot like playing chopsticks in a concert hall. If we're to accomplish anything worthwhile in this life, it's going to have to be because of his wisdom and, and, and his strength and his power. And about the time we're ready to give up, the Lord comes along and leans over to his child and whispers in his ear, don't quit. Keep going. Don't give up. You're doing just fine. And in that moment, he gives us of himself. And he gives us his gifts. And those talents are not to be used just for you, but they're be used so that the generations that come after you may be set on fire for God so that when our time on earth is done, that they could be the ones that take the place and take this to where it needs to go. Use your gift. When you hoard your gift inside of you and you don't use the passion that God gave you, we're acting just like the priest and just like the Levite. Don't leave anything on the table. Each of us must leave something behind for others to enjoy. Amen. And the third attitude this morning that I see in this story is this right here. What's mine is yours. And I'm going to give it. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. The oil was for the healing and the wine was for the pain. 
Then he put the man on his own on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. You see, that's the attitude of the Samaritan. There are similarities I want to mention real quick about these three men, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. For example, listen, all the men saw the same problem. They all saw a man who was needy. The difference was that the priest and the Levite looked and moved on while the Samaritan looked on and helped. You see, every once in a while, I'll run, I will run into somebody who says, Pastor, I would have given, I just didn't have an opportunity to. All three men had an opportunity, but only one took advantage of the opportunity. You see, God gives us a chance every single day to do something for him. Every single day, I've seen the poorest of people become the greatest givers. Why? Because they don't give because that's what they're forced to do. They give because that's what their heart wants to do. They all had other things to do that day. They were, all, they were all busy and had other jobs. None of them said that morning when they woke up that I'm going to wake up today and I'm going to help someone. That probably wasn't the first thing that they said. You see, you're never too busy to give of yourself. We come up with excuse after excuse after excuse on why we can't. And let me tell you something. You don't help people because of your schedule. You help people because of your attitude. You do it if you want to do it, and you don't do it if you don't want to do it. It's just as simple as that. You see, they all had reasons not to help. The Levite and the priest had ceremonial responsibilities that they had to get to. The Samaritans' reason was that Jews hated them and actually called them a dog. But see, the, the, the Samaritans' attitude that day helped him overcome his, pre, his, pre, his, pre, his, pre, his prejudice and his convenience. It helped him look beyond who he was and what was attached to him. He, he gave up his ride. He gave up his time. He gave up everything that he had. He gave up his money. He understood something that I wish we would all understand today. And it's this right here. What's mine is yours. And I'm going to give it. His attitude was one that understood that somebody other than him needed what God blessed him with. So with that being said, I have a couple minutes here. And I want to close this up the right way. I want to mention to you four things that I know very briefly about attitude. And it's this. Attitude is more important than your ability. Attitude is more important than your ability. Too many times we look at our skills and feel inadequate to do what needs to be done. The real question is, what are you going to do with what God gave you? God's not interested in what you don't have. He's interested in what you do with what you do have. You see, how many times I could have some soft music playing into the background. I've said this plenty of times. How many times have you said, if I just had a million dollars, oh, I'd give this person that, and I'd give the church this, and I'd give that person that, I'd pay off debt, and I'd, if I just had a million dollars. 
And what God is saying right now is this, what are you doing with what I gave you? You see, God will give you a new tomorrow based on what you're doing today. If you are faithful over a few things, then the Bible says he will make you ruler over many. Attitude is more important than your ability. Number two, attitude is more important than your position. Your attitude about life is much more important than the title that you hold. In fact, the priest and the Levite had a very religious position in, in life. If, any, if, if there was anybody who should have helped, it was them. And if there's anybody that probably had a reason not to, it was the one that did help. It's not about your title. It's about the attitude. Are you willing to give? Number three, attitude is more important than timing. A lot of people say, I can't help because I wasn't there. What's interesting to me is that the priest and the Levite had much better time to help, but they chose not to. When we love God first, it's a lot easier to love our neighbor. And number four, attitude is more important than knowledge. When this guy wanted to get into a discourse about who his neighbor was, Jesus told him this beautiful story. And he ended this with the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, then go and do likewise. It wasn't his knowledge that made him put action behind what he knew. It was his attitude. Why? Because a proper attitude will cause you to put words into action.